The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another Rebel Podcast. Uh, today, it is not Pootie and P-Nate in Garage Mahal. It's actually uh, P-Nate with his lovely wife, Colleen, in the comfort of their own living room. How you doing, Colleen? Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Do you ever think that you'd be uh, referred to as Mrs. Wright? No. Sounds like you're my mom. It sounds it weird. Yeah. yeah. Nobody really calls us Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Miss Colleen. Miss Colleen and P-Nate. That's what... That's what we get called. Yeah. But this is the Rebel Podcast, and uh, and we're here with kind of a special episode, but uh, let me go through kind of the usual routine here, and that is just to say, uh, check out all the content that Rebel Alliance Media is pushing out. You can check us out at rebelalliancemedia.com. Uh, we're really happy with everything going on in the network right now. The, uh, the Van Brimmers are doing through the Fathers of the Faith for, for Covenant Kids. Uh, that's a podcast that comes out uh, on the network feed on Mondays, and they've been doing uh, systematics for saplings. So if you have kids and you're looking for something to supplement your family devotions, you're looking for something, uh, a way to teach deep theology to your kids, I would highly recommend that. So they, they put out the study guide on Sunday nights, and then uh, their episode on Monday is kind of uh, how the week, uh, how to set up the week, how to, how to teach that uh, particular topic to your kids that week. So I would highly recommend that. It's a fantastic summer program for for families to go through. Then, of course, Grant and Erica do Awakening Reformation podcast that comes out on Tuesdays. Um, that's been great. Uh, they just had uh, a wonderful guest. I, I won't spoil it. If you missed that episode, go back and listen and listen to them. Uh, you have Pootie and P. Nate coming out on Wednesdays with the Rebel Podcast. Uh, ben Emery's podcast, Redeeming History, is on break after season one right now. But if you missed season one, you can go back and listen to it. And then the podcast for Cultural Reformation uh, put out by the Ezra Institute. Uh, with Ryan Aris and Joe Boot comes out on Fridays. And then there's all kinds of videos and stuff that we post on Facebook. Pro-Life Challenged videos are still trickling in. So just just check us out at rebelliancemedia.com. Check us out on Facebook. And thank you so much to all of the patrons who uh, support us through Patreon. Uh, We have some new content coming out. Uh, The Eschatology series is uh, in the middle of being uh, uh, finalized, so you'll be getting access to that shortly, and that's all thanks to our patron supporters uh, through patreon.com slash rebelalliance. So those are all the ways you can get back to the show if you so choose. Um, All of our content will obviously always be free. That's just for somebody who wants to give back to a ministry that might be uh, doing some good in their lives. So, 
All that stuff aside, uh, we are here tonight, and uh, we we kind of ran out of time recording. Uh, this past weekend was Canada Day weekend, so I know a lot of our listeners are in the States, and you don't know what the heck that is, but Canada has a birthday, and it happens to be July 1st, and so we celebrate that, and we had a, a busy weekend with stuff, so uh, Pudi and I couldn't get out to Garage Mahal, and uh, as I was talking to Colleen about it, and uh, she's actually reading a, a wonderful book right now. What's the book called, Colleen? It's by Nancy Wilson. It's called True Companion, Thoughts on Being a Pastor's Wife, actually. So she's been reading this. Nancy Wilson, for those of you who don't know, is is Doug Wilson, who we quote on the program, who we've had on the show, who we've done some uh, video recording with. Um, uh, Doug Wilson's wife, Nancy, has written a couple books, this being one of them. And, uh, and just as Colleen and I were kind of debriefing some of the thoughts from this book, um, it just got us talking and, uh, and some of these principles I think are really transferable. And so basically what, what we kind of want to do with this episode is, um, we want to talk about on this program, we talk about post-millennial theology a lot. We talk about Christians taking dominion, Christians taking over the world. We talk about, um, the advance of the gospel, the advance of God's kingdom, and I think sometimes as Christians, we can talk about all that stuff uh, theoretically as opposed to practically. I think sometimes we get it in our heads and, and you know, books like, and we love David Platt, but books like Radical by David Platt and, uh, and World Shakers and, and those kinds of uh, books, um, you know, uh, I think sometimes they put the wrong idea in Christians' minds that we have to be... Um, these extra special Christians. We have to do these extra special things. And and we're big believers at Rebel Alliance that it's actually everyday, regular Christian obedience um, that's going to win the world. And so Colleen and I were just talking about some really practical things. And and just so you guys know, I mean, we have um, three kids under the age of four. So our, our life is very busy right now. It's a lot of diapers. It's a lot of putting kids back to bed. It's a lot of picking up crumbs and making mundane meals and doing dishes. And so uh, we just kind of wanted to talk to all of the people who are in the trenches there. And that doesn't mean just the, the people with kids, but the people who are um, working their way through school while they're working at jobs, while they got married at a young age, you know, lots of different um, scenarios uh, where you can kind of feel like your life's in the weeds right now. And what we want to encourage you with is that um, everyday Christian obedience and the mundane things is actually the means by which God's gospel conquers the world. And so we just kind of wanted to talk about, um, there's a book um, called Diapers, Dishes, and Dominion that uh, was kind of, I would say, probably a pretty big book for you. Well, you kind of made it be a big book <laughs> <Okay>. for me. <laughs> so, Once so, again, it was one of those books that you just put on my bedside table and suggested that I read it. Actually, you bought, I think, a lot of women in the church that book and just put it in their mailbox <laughs> and said, right. I would suggest you reading this. But it was good. Um, I think it was actually one, probably one of the first books that I read when we had Quinn. That's right. Um, so you were just kind of venturing into the idea of being a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I, I know... Uh, that phrase, I think maybe 10 years ago might have been like a dirty, a dirty five, phrase to you. Five years five ago. Years ago. <laughs> when, when, when Quinn was just a twinkle in the eye. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but in all honesty, so I mean, you have a university degree and um, you have a good job. And I think it was always kind of important to you to finish schooling and to have a career. And I think there was a time in your life when you probably looked down on women who just wanted to be stay-at-home moms. Is that fair to say? Well, I was kind of taught that too, not necessarily by my parents, but I was always... Culture for sure. Culture for sure. But I was always taught, you know, after high school, you obviously go to school and you get a job or go to school and um, get a good education and then get a job. Right. Um, You don't graduate from high school and then get married and then have a family. Right. So... And and just so that um, our listeners don't hear what we're not saying. We're not saying um, that education isn't good or women shouldn't go to school or women shouldn't have important jobs. We're not saying any of that. What we are saying is that the, uh, the current kind of storyline for young women as they graduate high school is go get an education is the most important thing, get, establish a career and family comes secondary. And what we're saying isn't that those things aren't good. What we're saying is that to have that mindset is actually robbing women of what the Bible says their glory is. Right. Um, because the Bible actually says that uh, a man's glory is his strength and a, and a woman's glory is her nurture, is her care, is her ability to actually build a home and, uh, and nurture children. So um, it shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be a forethought. And that doesn't mean education and, uh, and career don't fit into those things. But if we want to think biblically, we got to think first about family uh, when it comes to women. So anyway, sorry, I, I took over there. But diapers and dishes and dominion, how did it help you in terms of kind of changing your mind on things? I think it just kind of helped me realize that even doing these little things, you're still being helpful within the family. You're still doing big jobs. Right. So even though it's not a big job, bringing in a big paycheck, which would, I feel like... Right. The world thinks that's, right. you know, that's what you So do. even though you're not doing that, you're still doing a big job at the home. You're still, um, you know the main person in the family. You're kind of the person that makes everything go. You're the person that right. makes everything run. The glue that holds things together, right. for sure. Right. There's a quote that I really love by R.C. Sproul where he says, um, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to do the dishes. And uh, and he, you know, he uses that to say, you know, um, everybody kind of grows up with these big dreams of like to change the world, you have to. And, you know, the movies we intake and all that, they don't help. Um, but the whole point is, is that sometimes doing the dishes is part of what it takes to change the world. And I think Diapers, Dish- Dishes and Dominion is a book that helps you see that doing the dishes and, and changing diapers is actually how Christians take dominion. And so kind of, if there's a big idea of this particular podcast episode, our big idea would be that acting like Christians and living like Christians in the mundane everyday tasks is actually how God plans to win the world. And you, and you're doing that on display in front of your coworkers, in front of your neighbors, in front of your families, in front of your friends. And, and, and so, do it with a happy heart. And do, yeah, absolutely. And do it with a, a happy heart. And that actually kind of segues well into, um, you know, w- w- one of the things that kind of brought this idea to our mind is, um, I, so you, you work at a college that's, uh, would it be easy? Would it be fair to say it's a fairly liberal environment? hundred percent. Okay. Uh, fair to say it's an environment that's unfriendly to Christian values. 
I wouldn't have said that before, but I would say that now. Correct. Right. right. So I guess the way I'll say this is um, there would be plenty of coworkers and people you consider friends. I mean, these are friends of yours um, who... <laughs> Um, I guess maybe because of how many kids we've had so close together, because of how often you've been on mat leave recently, um, because of what they see us posting on social media, you, me posting on social media under our joint account, um, (laughs) they've asked you, you know, in, in no, no uncertain terms, essentially whether or not you're an oppressed wife whose husband keeps her barefoot and pregnant. Seriously. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a, as a complementarian woman who believes that God created men and women equal, but with different roles, um, I guess, how is this book true companion kind of helped you, um, settle into what your role is as a wife and how do you see that role? So let's just kind of talk through that and we'll talk about what the mundane tasks look like for men and women. If we're saying that these mundane tasks are as important as they actually are. Okay. So what's your first question? So, um, my first question would be, um, do you feel oppressed? Some days. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. Okay. Yes. Keep going. Well, no. So when we were talking about this and I said, do you feel oppressed? You did say sometimes, um, particularly with the not having a break from the everyday tasks. The mundane, like, I can't tell you how many times I sweep these floors. Yeah. And you feel like you're constantly making lunches or getting snacks and, and whatever. But, um, as I've been kind of sitting here just talking with you about it, you start to realize that through these mundane jobs, I feel like Quinn and I, who is the oldest of the three of our kids, is the one that asks the questions during those times. So like I'm sweeping the floor, she'll say, you know, how does God make the floors? (laughs) And, or she'll, I don't know, we're, we're driving somewhere and she's like, you know, how does God, you know, we need to get gas. How does God make the gas? And she has all these questions. Just today she asked me, um, I know it was yesterday when, uh, when Quinn was asking, you know, how does Jesus get us to heaven? Right. Like, and then big, she asks these yeah, questions and yeah, I like say, wait big, till dad gets home. <laughs> yeah. But, but big questions, right? Like she she's asks an everything. Yeah. Right. And so during these kind of times, I'm very thankful that I get to be home and answer these questions for her or say, you know, I don't know, but that's a really great question. Let's, let's look at that together. Let's wait till dad gets home or let's call grandpa. Um, <laughs> Well, and, and I guess the point would be, I mean, if not you, then who? Right. Right? Like, if you're not the An one atheist, there. Probably. What we're trying to do is we're trying to instill in our kids what Paul Tripp, during his parenting seminar, calls God consciousness. Right. Right? You're trying to talk to them about... Um, you're not just telling them about, you know, the time of day and the sunrise. You're talking to them about how God makes the sunrise and how God made the sky and and putting God in all aspects. Right. That's right. When you're, when you're making homemade bread and you're talking about yeast, you talk about how wonderful it is that God made yeast and why he made it that way. And isn't that cool? Right. So, um, so we're trying to raise our kids with God consciousness, which means that they have it, which means that they're asking questions all the time. And if they weren't with you, who would they be with asking those questions and what sort of answers would they be getting? Right. Like who is it who's shaping their mind? And I think, I think that's was uh, kind of one of the most striking things that you said while we were talking about the, 
going through this episode, as you said, you know, the paradigm shift from, um, you know, I'm sweeping the floors, I'm, I'm making lunches, I'm doing all these things. You could focus on those mundane tasks and just say, well, anybody can sweep the floors, anybody can do laundry, who cares, to, well, all of these little things add up to I'm helping to shape someone's soul, right? Help shape a young mind. And I mean, it's interesting that she's obviously thinking too, like, you know, she could be asking, where did this fabric come from? But she doesn't. She says, how did God make this t-shirt? Right. Right. So her brain is obviously going to God automatically too. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay. So the, the mundane everyday things provide opportunities for you to do what's most important. And that is to mold and shape Great your children. <laughs> Thanks. Um, um, I would also just, okay. So in those mundane tasks, and this is something that you've learned from Nancy Wilson's book is, um, those mundane tasks, not only do they add up to opportunities for your main, I guess, calling in life right now, and that is to, to mold and shape the, the souls of our kids, but also, um, you're building a home, right? Right. And what's the importance of that? How would you describe that? Um, she talks about coming home to an orderly home, to not coming home to chaos, to coming home to an orderly home. And for when you come home that, you know, dinner is cooked, laundry is done, all of these things are done. So then once the kids are down, you and I can reconnect, you and I can go for our days, you and I can have alone time opposed to, okay, let's divide and conquer all of these chores. Right. And then go to bed and then repeat. And then we never see each other and... Never connect. Never connect. Right. Right. Um, and, and I would just say just, you know, um, so that somebody listening doesn't think that we're living in the (laughs) thirties. Um, I mean, I would say that we don't have really, really traditional division of labor in terms of, you know, you do all the laundry and the cooking and I do all the yard work. No, a lot of the time you come home and you, you will do the meals or the dinner where I'm doing something else, but after dinner, after the kids That's are right. down, then, which we both help out with, we both help out with the bass, we both right. help out with and, that. And I think that's so important too. So these points kind of blend together because our kids are also seeing us parent together, right? right. It's not about, you know, dad comes home, therefore it's mommy's break time. Mummy goes upstairs and daddy takes over, nor is it, you know, dad comes home and kicks his feet up and waits to be served by mom, but dad comes home and all of us, and oftentimes we'll come, I'll come home from work and we'll just, you know, before it gets into like dinner, cleanup and bedtime routines and bath and stories, which, you know, we have kind of a long bedtime routine with our kids that we can spend time with them and read to them and all that. Um, we'll go for a walk, right. Or we'll go outside and play, or we'll walk across the street and see our neighbors who we're close with. And they have uh, a young kid who's Judah's age as well. So like we usually do something. So they're seeing us do that together, which I think is important as well. Um, so um, what are some of the other uh, things that Nancy talks about in terms of, um, I guess, being, it's called true companion? What, what are some of the other kind of um, wifely duties that um, you might have not, not embraced five years ago, 10 years ago, um, but uh, that she's kind of challenging you on? The other big one is, I don't know what you want to call it, but basically me being supportive in you 
getting people upset, getting people <laughs> being controversial, being controversial, <laughs> um, but supporting that and not basically um, making you stop, hush, um, right. you know. Well, and I think so there is a uniqueness to this in that I'm a pastor which means that if I'm preaching the word of God faithfully, I'm going to upset people, right? So there's going to be people in the congregation, going to be people in the community who take issue with what I say because I'm preaching the word of God and the word of God is uh, a stumbling block to those who don't believe. Yes, but that's that's kind of the point is that she's not talking just specifically on Sundays. She's talking right. about on everything. So you're in a conversation with your neighbor and it comes up about... Um, the election and how one person's voting for so-and-so, but they're up for their pro-abortion. Right. So, you know, as the wife, it's, I wouldn't say, you know, Nathaniel, we, we don't want to, you know, <laughs> upset, her upset our neighbors, you know, we're, we're close with them. We don't want them to dislike us. Right. Um, so, but to be bold right. and to share your opinion and, right. um, if your husband is like that or not, I don't know. Um, but, my, mine is. And so for any woman that who has a husband that is like that, the wife is supposed to be supportive of that and to encourage their boldness. Right. Opposed to making them be silent. Yeah, no. I, well, I think this is actually a really important point. And I think it goes a lot deeper than even um, the examples we gave. And that is you know, God created men and women. And so, you know, this, this, a lot of this has to do with, we're talking about the different roles of husbands and wives. God created men and women equal, but with different roles. And so we're talking about the woman's role and we're talking about her, her being a support. And I think one of the things that even the church isn't getting right right now is that one of the ways God designed men is to be assertive, is to be Right. If, if a man's glory is his strength, if men are made for war, so to speak, then controversy should follow. Right. Like men should be bold, you should, should be, be ruffling courageous, feathers. should be ruffling feathers. Yeah. If we're living like Christians who believe homosexuality is a sin, who believe uh, abortion is genocide, who believe that, um, you know, the, God's law ought to reign in our neighborhoods and in our homes, then um, we're, we are going to ruffle feathers. There's right. no way not to. I think um, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes it as, um, you know, Christ leading us in, in uh, triumphal procession. And um, all of our lives are um, like incense that either smells like life to those who belong to Christ or death to those who don't. So in other words, our lives are either going to smell good or bad to people, depending on whether or not they're elect, whether or not they're they're part of um, God's family. And so um, there's no way around it. And so I would just say to husbands, first of all, if, if your commitment to the Lord and your commitment to the word of God is not stirring up controversy, you should take a long look in the mirror and ask, what are you doing wrong? Like, how are you putting your light under a bush, you know, as the song goes, as the, uh, as the text in Matthew five goes. So that would be the first thing. And then, and then, you know, to go deeper with that is, so you're saying part of the wife's role is to support her husband in being that warrior and right. being that courageous, um, you know, uh, Christ bearer. 
Um, and I would say we live in a culture where women are actually encouraged to kind of subdue their husbands, right? Like you look at all the, the, um, uh, sitcoms and stuff on TV, it's really strong women who keep their husbands kind of under their thumb, right? And the husband kind of has to, you know, I, I play baseball with a bunch of guys who, when, when it's like, Hey, can we go out for drinks after, or can we stop for wings or whatever? It's always like, Oh, I got to ask the warden. Right. And like, that's the, that's the running joke is a bunch of these guys refer to their wives as, you know, their boss. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, a wife who is supportive of her husband and actually pushing him to be the leader and the pot stirrer that God has called him to be is a wonderful thing. And I think um, it's actually the sinful desire. I think I think Genesis 3 talks about this when it says, when God is doling out the curses, and he says to um, Eve, he says, um, uh, your, your desire will be for your husband, in other words, your husband's role, um, and, uh, but he will rule over you is that, you know, part of the sin, part of the curse is uh, a wife's desire to usurp her husband, to control her husband and to subdue that like, um, controversial side of him. And I think that that happens far too much. And I think, um, so, uh, you know, when, when wives are encouraged to be a support to their husband in that way, I think that's biblical. I think that's good. I think the other thing is too, is that I feel like part of it, why women might want to, um, not have their husbands ruffle feathers is because they're afraid relationships are going to get broken. Right. Great point. And women, I think, well, we don't even need to go there, but Nancy does say, you know, don't be afraid of that. Like, yeah, probably relationships will get broken and that's okay. They're, especially if they're Christians, if you're speaking truth, you can't apologize for the truth. This is what the Bible says. And hopefully eventually that their eyes will open to it. And it might not be a month. It could be a year. Who knows? It, it might not be in a time that you see it. Right. But the point is, is that don't let the truth of what Christ says and, um, don't let that stop you from, from preaching it because of you're afraid that your relationship will, will break down. Right. And I think that can be, I mean, that can be a variety of relationships, right? I mean, that could be friends, that could family. be neighbors, that could be yeah, family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, um, you know, that's part of trusting in God's sovereignty. Right. Because it probably will happen. It will happen. Well, I mean, there wouldn't be verses like when Jesus says, you know, I came not to deliver peace, but to divide, to divide father against son and mother against daughter. Like he wouldn't say those things if they weren't true. Right. Right. And, uh, um, no, no, that's, that point I think is a really important point, but, uh, important as well to balance it with, I think another thing that you've really taken away from this book and that is, um, the, the huge role of hospitality in the life of a wife. I know, and I hate that point because we (laughs) suck at that. And I think part of it is that we suck at it because of insecurities, right? Like, I mean, I'm speaking on behalf of a pastor, but like, you know, people are coming over to our house that, you know, they've helped fund. Right. Right. Or, you know, you have, um, you know, everybody knows that handyman. It's like, oh, great. The handyman's coming over to our house and he's going to see all the things that we need to fix. Because <laughs> Nate's not that Because Nate's not that. <laughs> yeah. 
but I mean, there's, there's so much insecurity that stems from that. Right. Right. Or is your house too big? Do you have too many nice things? And people are going to think you're materialistic and that's, you know, the, the God you serve. Um, so, so it's basically that fear of man versus fear of God, right. right? Like you're afraid of what people will think. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's absolutely one of the things that, that stops us from, um, and I say us as in like stops North Americans, right. Stops us from being, um, hospitable. I think too, um, that another thing that stops us from being hospitable is kind of perceived busyness. And, and I say perceived as like, we are busy. I mean, life is busy. Ministry is busy, but ministry is not the only job out there that keeps us busy. We have young kids that keeps us busy, but like you make time for things that are important. Right. right? And I think this is part of it is, is, um, kind of being selfish with our own time, right? Being hospitable means that you are selfless with your time. You're inviting people into your home, right? Which comes with its own difficulties, like you just said, but it's also, um, you know, guarding your time, and I think that uh, being hospitable means... Uh, or your heart. Yeah. Because when you have people over, over, I mean, hopefully you're not just talking about the shows that you've yeah. seen. Right. Right. Hopefully you're being transparent. Hopefully you're having good conversations about what you're reading or whatever. Yeah. And that's a lot of work. Yep. Right. And so that's the other kind of facet to it too, is that, you know... Yeah, these are these are deep conversations. You're right, opening you yourself should, up. Right, you're you're uh, being uh, reciprocal. Right, you're you're being vulnerable. They're being vulnerable, right. which means you're caring enough to ask them questions to get them vulnerable. Right, um, and then you, and then you're giving up time, uh, maybe sleep. You know, maybe the uh, list goes on. Yeah, just do it. Just have people over. <laughs> and the other point, actually. That, uh, um, I don't know, Mike Wilkins, his wife said to me when we were first going into ministry, she said, you are, people are always going to ask you over people are, you know, going to want a lot of your time. And she said, say yes, more than you say no. And it was one of those things that was like, seems it so seems simple. so simple. Like right. even just saying this now, I really don't think we've said anything today. That's like, Ooh, I haven't thought of that before. Right. And this is probably another one of those things, but it just struck me like, yes, say yes more than you say no. Because at the end of the day, after all of these social things that we've done with some people that we've begrudgingly, is that the right word? Begrudgingly. Begrudgingly wanted to do never, maybe once or twice have we come out saying, I wish we didn't do that. No. Yeah. I was going to make that point too, is that we've never kind of, um, probably once I'm sure we have once. Yeah. But I, I just mean, God seems to be like, this is an act of obedience, right? We're actually, we're actually commanded to be hospitable. We're commanded to open our homes to people. This isn't just us giving advice. This is us giving biblical advice for what God tells you, you must do as a Christian. And so the, you know, obedience always comes with blessing. Right. And so God tells you to do it. He tells you to do it for a reason. And, And we've found that he's faithful and we've had people over that we didn't, you know, we didn't necessarily think we would connect with or, maybe we don't have a whole lot in common with or whatever, but there are people in the church we want to invest in or, or non-Christians in our neighborhood or a friend group or whatever. And 
we've been amazed that God's just faithful and, and there's reasons he puts people in your life and, and, uh, it was all fantastic. And then, you know, then you can't sleep that night because you're just <laughs> going over. We should have done that before. I know. Yeah. And when can we do it again? When, can, when yeah. can we do that again? And then, you know, you're making plans when the extroverts coming out and <laughs> you know, the next day you're like, that's, that's your plight. <laughs> you, make, you make plans when you're an extrovert that you regret when you're an introvert yeah, the next seriously. day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyways, just, so just be, be hospitable. Just do it. Just do it. Suck is it Nancy's up. words. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Like there's no easy, you know, there's no solution. There's no uh, formula to it. Just do it yeah. and say yes more than you say no. And I think when you, when you started getting this, um, because I like, you're definitely the more extroverted one out of the I two was. of us. I'm not anymore. Um, well, I'd still say you're more, still more extroverted than me. You're, you're more social, social than I am. Okay. And I would say that, um, when, when you kind of latched onto this vision, I guess, of opening your home. And I, I, I would say even, I think you're comfortable with me saying like, got over some insecurities in terms of feeling like the house needed to be in perfect order and all that kind of stuff. When we just started being hospitable and started being okay with the mess. Like I remember a few days when it was like, um, you know, you'd come over and, and we had, um, you know, friends from out of town over and then you had some girlfriends dropping in afterwards with their kids. And right. and then we had small group that night and all each thing bled into the other. Right. And, and it was just like chaotic days. And we, you know, you go to bed at the end of that day and you want, I mean, you want a quieter day the next day, but you sit there and go like, that was awesome. That was great. Yeah. There's that something about, day. there's, there's something about the mess, right? There's something right. about being hospitable in, in the midst of, uh, I, I remember, uh, um, Erica Van Brimmer from, uh, the podcast network who does awakening reformation podcast. I remember her one time saying like, um, you'll know when you're being discipled by me, when you folded my husband's underwear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of said that to say like, she'll be like laundry still needs to get done, but she's going to open her home enough that like, you know, you're helping me fold the laundry here because I'm going to put the basket between us. And they are hospitable because <laughs> we're staying there for a week and they've never met us. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, don't back out Grant and Erica. We're really yeah. looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, the hos- hospitality thing I think is huge. Um, and, uh, and I would just say, I would say you and I too, there's something about being on mission together that I think is, is important for any married couple, right? Like I think, um, some of those relationships are with Christians who, um, there's a sort of discipleship relationship going on. Some of those relationships are with non-Christians and there's something evangelical, evangelical motivations going on. And there's something about being on mission together that, that I think draws couples together, right? Like I think, I don't think Christian couples fully experience, um, a Christian marriage unless they're on mission together, unless they're working together at a joint cause that's growing the kingdom of God. And and what we're saying is that these things, doing these things, being hospitable, having people into your home, inviting them into your lives, um, you know, even, even if it's stirring up controversy, like we just talked about, these are important things. One thing I would kind of maybe tack on to that whole idea of, of hospitality is uh, something that I think, we've been trying to grow in over the last couple of years. And that is, um, you know, the, the new Testament in particular, but the entire Bible has a whole lot to say about being good neighbors. 
And so I would say one of the things that you and I have been trying to do, and, and please don't think that we're saying that we do any of this stuff perfectly, we're, we're certainly works in progress, um, but is try to, try to have kind of a vision for the mission in our neighborhood, right? And so getting to know our neighbors and, um, you know, when you're outside on the front lawn, um, interacting with people and um, inviting them over and going over and going on walks with neighbors and stuff. And, you you know, you, I think you really opened up those possibilities when you're home on mat leave for a while, getting to know some of the other moms who were at home at the time. Um, and I, I think that as Christians, we're called to be good neighbors. And I think, you know, all of these little things that we're saying add up is you're on display wherever you are and your neighbors, whether they know a whole lot about the gospel or the Bible or not, they certainly know if they live in North America, what Christianity claims to be about. Christianity claims to be about kindness, mercy, hospitality, being good neighbors. They know these sorts of things. And so we would just say that remember that you're on display in your neighborhood and you're called to be light in a dark neighborhood. Um, and you know, how do you know that God is trying to work is, is working in the lives of your neighbors? Well, he put you in their neighborhood. He made you their neighbors. So that's an important piece. And I feel like, um, one of the things we've been trying to do recently is, is to take seriously kind of where God has placed us. And I think that's true for wherever our, our listeners are listening. That's true for your workplace, right? That's true for where you go to school. That, that's true for, um, you know, where you do your shopping. That's true for where you live. God has placed you in a particular sphere, in a particular place, and he's put you there so that you can be um, the light in the darkness, so that you can be um, the salt and the light in that particular neighborhood. And so one of the other things I would just encourage people to do is you know, get to know your neighbors, Start hanging out on your front porch a little bit more than you hang out on your back porch. Um, start striking up conversation. And, and don't get me wrong, it's easy. Like, I understand the temptation to be a, like, back porch, private fence kind of guy. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, being present and being a good neighbor in your neighborhood goes a long way to the mission field that God's put right in front of you. Just walk over and ask them something about their garden. <laughs> if they're a gardener. <laughs> yeah, but then if, if they're not, then they'll say, oh, I don't know, That's I think that might be a weed. And then it strikes up conversation, you're both not gardeners. Right. I mean, just ask them anything, and right. it just strikes up some sort of conversation, and then just go from there. Right? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think, And I think you're way better at this than I am. Um, but I think, you know, the, uh, the, world, the world is craving community because we are created for community. We're, we're created to be, um, brought into the family of God. And so the world craves what they can, what they crave Christian community and they can't get Christian community without the church. And so I think you'd be shocked at how many of your neighbors are actually craving community, even within their neighborhoods, be the person who's at the center of that. Like, like be, be the person who's, who's making those connections, be that person who's organizing a yard sale or whatever. I know we kind of laughed at <laughs> a lot of work for 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we have neighbors. So, um, we have, we have really organized neighbors who love this stuff. And, and with, with one particular couple in our neighborhood, we, uh, we kind of initiated a, a neighborhood block party, 
um, which, you know, brought a, a bunch of our neighbors together and was a great opportunity for connections and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we even have little neighborhood meetings and that's what Colleen's quoting there. One of our neighbors, when somebody suggested, let's do a neighborhood uh, yard sale, they said, that's a lot of work for 30 bucks. And we think he's funny, so we quote him. But, uh, but uh, you know, I think that's another important piece. And I guess, um, like I said, just to kind of tie all these things together, I feel like we're giving just kind of practical, everyday, daily advice. But look, you're in the weeds wherever you are. If you're a mom who's staying home with the kids, uh, you understand the mundane tasks of changing diapers, doing dishes, and folding laundry. If you are um, a man or a woman who's working full-time, you understand um, the the difficulty of submitting to an ungodly boss or uh, dealing with coworkers who are unkind, dealing with the um, uh, the backstabbing of, you know, uh, you know, making the sale or moving up the corporate ladder or whatever the case may be. You, you might be a, a mom who's, um, you know, uh, getting compared to the other moms and like wherever you are, they're mundane everyday tasks. And I feel like, uh, sometimes we forget to see that changing diapers, doing laundry, commuting to work, um, handing in your assignment on time, um, you know, uh, meeting the deadline, submitting to your boss, respecting your boss, not stealing company's time. All of these tiny little things are, they seem so small and insignificant, but they add up to a Christian life, either well-lived or not. And I think that, um, you know, one of the ways Christians change the world is by Christians just living like Christians, whether they're stay-at-home moms, whether they're commuting, you know, um, big city workers, whether they're farmers out on the field, whatever it is that they're doing, how they interact with their bosses, their coworkers, how they interact with the world and the sphere in which God has placed them is either um, going to um, be a positive impact or a negative impact, but you're always on display. You are always either advancing the kingdom of God or being encroached upon by the kingdom of the world. And, uh, and we're called as Christians to take dominion. One of the things I just saw in scripture the other day, so I'll end with a little, uh, quick little Bible study. And that is, um, so I'm studying through the book of Hebrews and in the book of Hebrews, it makes a connection between the, the congregation that is the, the people of God, the Israelites in the wilderness and, uh, and the, the church at, you know, in Hebrews, right? The, the early church. And it makes this comparison. And uh, if you couple that with kind of what Paul says in, in first Corinthians, uh, 10, he's talking about, um, the, the, the people of God, the Israelites who are wandering around in the desert. And it says, these things were written down for, um, for our instruction, right? So he's saying, you know, their exploits in the wilderness, were written down for our instruction. And he says, on whom the ends of the ages have come. And so um, this comparison, and and this may be just a spoiler for the Eschatology 201 series that I'm teaching through right now. So when that drops, you'll, you'll kind of get this expanded. But um, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, they were wandering around in the wilderness and God was preparing them. That was their kind of wilderness experience where they were being prepared for the taking of the promised land in Canaan, right? And so 
the taking of the promised land after the 40 years is described in the book of Joshua and then in the book of Judges, where God was calling them into the land that he'd promised them to conquer it and to subdue the other nations and to establish God's law. And I think what the author of Hebrews is making this comparison is he's saying that the the church, the early church in the 40 years, which mirror the 40 years in the wilderness, the 40 years between the resurrection of Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem were the wilderness years of the church before they entered their promised land that they were meant to conquer. So when Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5 and he says, the meek shall inherit the earth, he's quoting from Psalm 37, where it talks about that the people of God would inherit the land. And Jesus is expanding that. So the, the New Testament reality of what the Old Testament and the time in the wilderness was teaching is that um, the 40-year interim between the resurrection of Jesus and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD was the prep preparatory period before the church was meant to go into its promised land and conquer. And what's the church's promised land? Well, it's, it's, it goes way beyond the boundaries of Canaan. It goes to the whole world. And so I just say that to say, as Christians, we are now living post-70 AD, post the destruction of Jerusalem, in the... Um, the, the time period where we are meant to conquer the world, we are meant to um, take dominion, we are meant to advance the kingdom, all those things that we talk about at Rebel Alliance all the time. And how does what does that look like? I think whenever we talk about kind of the post-millennial hope that the the disciple the nations will be discipled that we the great commission is going to be fulfilled um, that um, the world will be Christianized that the kingdom of God will conquer the kingdom of man we think about all those things but we don't actually think about how does that happen what are the practical steps that it takes and I think the big idea what we want to drive home in this episode is that the 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 way that happens is through everyday faithfulness. Moms changing diapers, doing dishes, dads working hard, coming home, helping with the kids, loving their wives, wives respecting their husbands, you know, raising kids who love Jesus, having kids, educating your kids. Like these things are the means by which Christians take over the world. And I actually, I, I just want to end, I, I wasn't even, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but I remember a conversation you had with a friend of ours at a gathering that we wouldn't even have gone to if we weren't trying to live intentionally. These are some friends of ours, um, and he's not a Christian. And do you remember the conversation you had with this guy when he found out that you were pregnant with number three, and he said, like, how many are you planning on having? Do you remember that conversation? I don't know what conversation you're talking about, but that I think that happened to most, um, that was most conversations when I said that I was pregnant with number three. Right. But he said, um, so he's an atheist and he, uh, said that basically he said that, um, he always thought that Christianity would kind of die oh, out. Oh, right. Because, do you yes. remember this? Okay. Yes. So he kind of said that Christ, he thought Christianity would die out right. because, you know, science and all this kind of right, stuff. And, right, right, and Christian, right. Christianity is such an old, you know, old school thing and nobody yes. believes that crap anymore. And do you remember that conversation? Yes. Okay. So describe it a little bit. Oh, my memory is so bad nowadays, though. Um, <laughs> basically, same thing. We're at a, a party 
and he just found out that um, we were pregnant, and it wasn't even a congratulations. It was. I know. Um, so (laughs) yeah. So how many kids do you plan on having? And I'm, you know, I don't know, you know, and, uh, he said something, well, you know, what did he say? He said something like, he said, what's funny is that I always thought Christianity would die out in my lifetime. Like I thought that people don't believe this stuff anymore. It's so archaic. It's so old. You know, um, you know, we, we've now progressed in science. We know that these miracles couldn't happen. We know people don't resurrect from the dead. And, um, and yet I don't think Christianity actually will die out if people like you keep having kids and people like me who don't want any kids don't have kids. I think I made that connection for him though. I think I said something like, well, it doesn't matter. Yes. But anyway, and I, I bring. But up- he's also somebody that you've had lots of conversations with yeah. about Christianity and Talk about ruffling feathers. Yes, yeah. and so, but I, I just bring that up to say that you know Christianity might seem, in fact, the Bible says it seems like folly to those who are perishing. Right that that it seems right. like silliness. It seems like um, uh, fantasy. Right. And it does to him. And he said that to us, that, that what we believe in is foolish. And yet, um, what's so interesting is that we have, you know, uh, three kids right now that we're raising to believe the same foolishness, right? They, and, and the fact that Quinn is asking all these questions about God, I mean, we were raising them to believe that God exists, believe that he's revealed himself to us in his word, that he is a plan for them, that he loves them, that, um, you know, the, the world world history is actually about the advancement of Christ's kingdom. And, and yet it's these atheists who think that we're so foolish who don't want kids or abort their kids or, you know, uh, send their kids off to the state to get educated. And I just say that to say these small things matter. Having kids matters. Raising them to love Jesus matters. Folding their laundry and doing their dishes and sweeping their crumbs matters because you are training the next generation of people who will be the movers and shakers of the world. So, uh, you know, all of this stuff is so important and, uh, and don't, uh, don't neglect the everyday tasks that the Bible calls us to. Um, because you think you got to be radical. Uh, extraordinary grace comes by very ordinary means. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next time.